Big Game Friday morning, presented by 105.3 The Fan. And just like that, we are off and running. Welcome to NBC5 and 105.3 The Fan's Big Game Friday morning show. I'm NBC5 sports anchor Pat Doney. A huge football weekend ahead as the Dallas Cowboys look for an opportunity to potentially almost clinch the NFC East on the road at the Washington football team. There's been smack talk. There's been coaches back and forth. There's juice. There's energy in the rivalry. We're going to get into that game and talk and hear from players on the Cowboys. Both coaches will also uh, check in with J.P. Finley. He covers the Washington football team for NBC Washington. And then, of course, the Texas high school football playoffs are rolling along. We are to state semifinal weekend with multiple teams in North Texas with a chance to punch their ticket to the state championship game next week in AT&T Stadium. We'll look at some of those huge huge games for local teams as they try to get one step closer to winning that state title. And then college football bowl season's here as well. I mean, we've got a lot to talk about in college football there have been coaching changes, uh, programs that are trying to get big-time wins on national stage. It's going to be a lot of fun, and as always, uh, my co-host here on the show, Kevin Gray from 105.3 The Fan. KG, happy Football Friday to you, man. Well, what a week we have ahead, and you know, it just feels like every single week things just build bigger and bigger here in the North Texas high school football and, and NFL scene, and it just doesn't get much bigger than this right now. Well, good morning to you, Pat Doney, and uh, big weekend always in the state of Texas when it comes to football. And, of course, is going to be capped off by the Washington football team getting a visit from the Dallas Cowboys. But you mentioned some terrific high school football action uh, with South Lake Carroll, Duncanville. It's going to be a really, really nice weekend of football here in the great state of Texas. No question. And my main, my, my main man, Chris Blake, hanging out here from NBC DFW's media team. Hey, man, thanks for being here. And, and uh you know, we got a big football weekend ahead. We'll get more on big news with you a little later on in the show. But, <laughs> but I mean, hey, I, I, your college football love, I know the bowl season's coming. It's the most yeah. wonderful time of year. Bowl season's a lot of fun, you know. Um, unfortunately, TCU will not be participating nope. in uh, this time of the year. But every football weekend in Texas from September on is big, and they just kind of the stakes get higher as you go through the fall. And you have a new football coach there we do. at TCU. We'll talk maybe a little more about that in just a little bit. But we have to begin with the Dallas Cowboys, this matchup on the road at the Washington football team. Dallas enters this game as a four-point favorite on the road. That means that the experts in Vegas believe that the Cowboys are a touchdown better than Washington on a neutral field. Here's the thing that's a little crazy about that. Washington's rolling right now. I mean, the, the, they've won four games in a row. Meanwhile, the Cowboys, I know that the record hasn't necessarily been bad over the last four or five weeks, but I think we would all agree that the eye test would tell you that this Cowboys team is not playing very well right now. And yet, even in the midst of that, I thought it was very interesting that Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy did not hesitate. He came right out at his press conference first day back after being gone for more than a week with COVID-19. He meets with the media, and this is what Mike McCarthy had to say about the Cowboys mashup against Washington. Uh, we know what people think of us. We love that. Uh, we're comfortable who we are, where we are. Uh, but I'm excited about what's in front of us because, you know, we, we, you know we're, we're going to win this game. Um, I'm confident in that and just, to, you know, the prep that's going into it. Uh, but you know, more importantly, we're gonna, you know, we want to improve too. We are gonna win this game. I, <laughs> you know, if there's one thing, and we'll talk to J.P. Finley a little more about this in just a bit from NBC in Washington. If there's one thing about McCarthy that you don't think it's gonna be. It's gonna be bombastic, bold claims. You know, really, Cowboys fans, their biggest complaint about him is that he's kind of dull. You know, that wasn't dull there. I mean, he came right out and said it, and you know, I. I have my thoughts about it. I'll share those in a second. I want to hear your thoughts first, Kevin. What, what do you think about Mike McCarthy coming out and guaranteeing the win? Well, who knew that Joe Willie McCarthy was going to show up to the press conference <laughs> and make a bold prediction for the game on Sunday? But I think ultimately I do like it because there are certain buttons that you have to push for your team to find out what they're made of and see if they're willing to respond. And Mark McCarthy put out the statement that we're going to win this game, so he has written a check that hopefully his team can cash on Sunday against the Washington football team. And I don't think it necessarily puts extra pressure on his players. I think it serves as a motivational tool. We've heard about watermelon smashing before football games. <laughs> Mike McCarthy knows how to motivate this football team, and I think he specifically chose this moment to be able to put that out there, knowing that his team has the capability and, more importantly, the talent to back up the words that he put out there. And I think it's great in, in one way in particular, okay? The Dallas Cowboys in recent years, 
for whatever reason, have struggled coming out of the gate in noon games. Okay, It's more at home than on the road necessarily, but it just feels like they kind of sleepwalk through the first quarter. In AT&T Stadium, it more kind of feels like a social event than it does a football <laughs> game. I know this game's in Washington. I know it's against a rival. But this is a Cowboys team that has not played well right now over the last month or so. The offense isn't really clicking. There's just certain things. That, so I'm wondering if McCarthy came out and said this, and he knew that Washington was going to be unhappy about it and respond. He knew that it was going to create a little bit more juice, a little bit more energy. To me, it feels like a genius move if his plan here was to make sure that his team was not asleep going into game day at the, in the nation's capital on Sunday. And I, I'm pretty confident that that's going to be the case. And as I mentioned, the Washington football team not thrilled. Uh, they do not agree with Mr. McCarthy's assessment of the situation. And Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington football team, on his coach's show on NBC Washington, had this to say about it. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's important. I think that's the big mistake is because as far as I'm concerned, you know, you do that for a couple of reasons. One is you want to get in our head. And so I've told our players, this is that's interesting. It's not important. What's important is our preparation, getting ready to play on Sunday. Secondly, he's trying to convince his team. You know, so again, I think that's another mistake because he's now made it about him and what he said. It's not about his players anymore. So I think that's the big mistake. That's why to me, you know, you don't do those things. What you do is you focus in on, you get ready and you play football. We show up on Sunday and we'll see what happens. He's made it about him now. I think that's an interesting way to describe what Ron Rivera his thoughts there in general. But, you know, I, I think we would both agree that if you looked at it on paper, if you watched both of these teams big picture, this Cowboys team is the better team between Washington and Dallas. At the same time, you know, the thing that Washington has going for it, they're not, they're not playing for their playoff lives. The wild card's still a real chance for the Washington football team right now. But you know, I mean, at a two-and-a-half game lead in the division – this, this thing, this bad boy's over. You know, if, if Dallas wins the game on Sunday with only, what, four games left after that, one of them against Washington, also playing the Giants, the Eagles, and the Cardinals, you know, in, in whatever order following this game on Sunday, if Dallas has a three-game lead, you know, going into the week before Christmas in the NFC East, it's done. They're, they're winning the division. If Washington wins, though, KG, I mean, I... Things could get a little spicy. It could get a little interesting here now. Yeah, and that's the part that you want to see the Cowboys come out and handle business on Sunday, right? You have a chance to lock down this division and really make things difficult for the Washington football team going forward as far as their playoff chances are concerned. And, you know, Mike McCarthy is going to coach his team the way he feels like he should coach. He's going to motivate his players the way he feels like will get the best out of them. It's about both of these teams and their preparation and how they're able to get ready for each other, especially for a Cowboys team looking at a Washington football team that's playing good football. Won four games in a row. Taylor Heineke's playing some good football. Antonio Gibson is a really good back for this team. The Cowboys are going to have their hands full, but you're right. They have the better talent and the better team and should be expected to win on Sunday when they take on Washington. The thing is, though, is it's not going to happen unless Dak Prescott starts playing better and the Cowboys' offense starts playing better. You know, he's missed some throws that he would admit uh, were not good throws, were, were plays that he should make. His receivers have dropped passes that they should catch. The running game for the Cowboys has just it's just disappeared. You know, other than the Tony Pollard 58-yard touchdown run at New Orleans, which, by the way, caught, he injured his foot on that play, and he's a game-time decision now for Sunday's game at Washington, and it's going to be an injury that lasts throughout this season. Other than that one play, I can't remember a, a running play over the last month or so that this Cowboys offense looked dominant the way that it did the first two months or so. And yet, even in the midst of that, with Dak Prescott, again, not playing well, going from about second or third in the MVP race in the NFL to, to he's like fifth, sixth, maybe even seventh now, depending on which you know ranking you want to look at and, and the odds in Vegas. Even through that, Dak came out this week and talked about the Cowboys' confidence. He says that they believe they have an opportunity to bounce back and that they're going to bounce back soon. I still think our, our best ball is ahead. Um, obviously, we started off hot, uh, went through a little bit of a lull, but it's growing pains. It's just uh, getting some kinks out, and I feel like we've been in – a lot of different situations and experienced a lot of different games, um, whether we're not getting the ball much or whether we're um, playing slow and just different things that we can learn from, uh, whether it resulted in a win or a loss. So uh, I think our, our best ball is ahead, and we've just got to continue to lock arms, uh, be on the same page, trust all the training that we've put in going back to the spring, and um, it'll all pay off, even the, even the down days. I heard a description on The Athletic of the NFL season as being – 
two seasons, you know, is typically the way that this works. Typically, teams come out of the gate and they are who they are for the first month and a half. And maybe they're great, maybe they're bad. But then the rest of the league adapts to what that team does. Because now you have film. You have five, six, seven games to make adjustments and all of that. And that's the second part of the season. You know, that's that's when you have to find a way to adjust to the adjustments to you. And it feels to me that right now the Cowboys, especially on offense, they have been adjusted to by opponents. And Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy, it's their job now to come up with some answers because it, the eye test just doesn't feel like things. It just feels off, right? I mean, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the inconsistency with the offensive line. You've got receivers who aren't beating you know, corners when it comes to press and man coverage. Teams are being more physical with these receivers. Dak has been a little bit off when it comes to some of the communication you know, with his receivers. But the Cowboys have a perfect opportunity now in the next five games to show and send a message to the rest of the NFL that this was the team that won six games in a row, that was taking away the football, that looked like the best offense in the National Football League. And it's on Kellen Moore and this offense to be able – to dictate how they will match up against defenses week in and week out to really put themselves in that position to take advantage of what is a really talented offense going forward and should be for the next five games. And one thing that I had some fun with a follower on, on Twitter about, you know, is he was talking about the dire situation and how tough it is. And it's just, it's been so frustrating and aggravating. And I just was like, yeah, I mean, I do feel bad for your eight and four team in first place with two, a two and a half game lead in the division. You know I mean? It could be worse and there is still time to get things turned around, but you know, I think we can all agree that if the offense doesn't start looking more like it did in September and October, this is not a team that is suited right now to make a deep run in the playoffs. That said, if they can kind of get it cranking again the way that it was, man, the defense has looked legit. I don't know. Uh, CB, what do you think overall? This Cowboys team, your your thoughts before the season and then about a month and a half into now, how, how have things changed on the peaks and valleys here as a uh, Cowboys watcher? I think I was not as high on them as you were at the start of the season. Well, You're a hater. Yeah. Well, you were you were higher on them than a lot of than a lot of people, and you looked good coming out of the gate, Pat. But, I still but, look good. I still look good. But <laughs> Pat always looks good. He always I, looks good. I think they'll I think they'll wind up kind of where we thought they would. You know, maybe a 10-11 win team. Uh, I mean, at this point, hopefully eleven. If they don't get to eleven at this point, the division might be in jeopardy. Yeah. But I think. The defense looked better last week. Granted, you had Taysom Hill helping out with that uh, in the takeaway column a little bit. Right. But, you know, the offense does need to get back on track. And everything you read and listen to says, you know, they'll get every, now that everybody's back healthy, the offense should start to click again. They'll be more consistent. However, we need to make sure that everybody does stay on the field and everybody does stay in the lineup because right. so far this year, they haven't proven that they can keep everybody together. And they do have their head coach, Mike McCarthy, back. McCarthy did say that the team had everybody back, you know, regarding COVID-19. No more issues with that, with Terrence Steele. You know, interested to see what that looks like on Sunday with Terrence Steele back at right tackle or Lyle Collins. You know, the decisions that are there are going to be kind of interesting to monitor because kind of quietly, Lyle Collins has not really looked like Lyle before the injury. You know, and that said, that doesn't mean that he's not – you know, potentially a better player than Terrence Steele. But, you know, I, I do think that the Cowboys do deserve a little bit of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to offensive line play and Terrence Steele because of how good he's looked this year compared to a year ago. Clearly, they know what they're talking about. And so if they keep putting Terrence Steele out there, it, the Cowboys coaches are interested in winning games. They're not just doing this for fun, right? There's a reason that they believe that that's the case. Uh, regardless, it's going to be an interesting matchup on Sunday. I had an opportunity to catch up with uh, J.P. Um, Finley from NBC Washington earlier this week uh, to just get his perspective. He covers the Washington football team for NBC Washington. It, you know, it was just an interesting conversation to hear two perspectives. It's rival teams. It's one fan base is not happy with the eight and four. The other fan base is like six and six. We can do this. You know, it's like this just very interesting perspective going to this game. Here's my conversation with J.P. Finley now. Okay, let us welcome to the show now J.P. Finley. He covers the Washington football team for NBC Washington. As you know, each week we try to bring on a reporter who covers the enemy for this upcoming weekend's game. And JP, man, you do a great job covering Washington. What an interesting story! What an interesting team this is right now. You know, left for dead it felt like, but now all of a sudden they're rolling, man. Was it four wins in a row going into this matchup? And it feels like a really confident group right now. I mean, what are you sensing from Washington at the moment? 
Yeah, I agree with you. You know, if, if you had asked me a month, six weeks ago, I, I would have said the season was likely over. And then they pulled off an improbable upset win over the Bucks coming out of their bye week and took down Tom Brady. And, and that just got the ball rolling. And they've got real momentum now. They've won four in a row. The win in Vegas was a come from behind last week. And there is absolutely a sense of confidence built within the organization. They believe in their in their young undrafted quarterback, Taylor Heineke. The defense is playing really well. Um, defensively, during this four-game win streak, they're holding opponents under 20 points. They've held their last two opponents to 15 points in each game. So, I mean, it, it sets the stage, I think, for the, the most interesting, important Washington versus Dallas game since Week 17, 2012, when Robert Griffin III and Alfred Morris kind of ran all over the Cowboys and were able to steal that NFC's title. Yeah, two-and-a-half game lead for Dallas going into the matchup. And so that this clearly this game, I mean, we heard Eli Manning say on the Manning cast, you know, on Monday that division games count as two, right? Well, in this circumstance, it feels like if Dallas wins this thing, I mean, it's it's, it's pretty much done with the number of games yeah. that are left in the season. Do you feel that kind of uh, emphasized importance? Not that a Washington-Dallas game isn't always important in Washington and Dallas, but at the same time, man, this one feels like it's got a little extra juice. Well, I, I do, right? I, I think the importance of the division and Washington maybe chasing the division title. I think it's also important, though, that Washington right now is in the sixth seed in the NFC. So it's not it's not like a win-and-in situation. I think even if Washington loses, they're still okay for a wild card as long as they can put some wins together in the remaining four games. But I'll tell you what adds some juice to it is – Mike McCarthy, I think, kind of randomly guaranteeing a win. I, I listened to that soundbite, and McCarthy it seemed to be brought that up out of nowhere. And whether he meant to or not, kind of kicked a hornet's nest because now you've got Washington players. I, I mean, I spoke to a number of players. They got asked about it. I asked some of them about it, and they're like, he can guarantee whatever he wants. We're still going to play the game Sunday. Um, Washington head coach Ron Rivera has talked about it. Um, he said, you know, that's fine. I, I think it's a mistake to, to make guarantees like that as a head coach because it takes, you know, it takes the focus away from your team, but he can do whatever he wants. I, I'm just waiting for Jerry Jones to weigh in on this. Like, <laughs> it just seems like something so random that he decided to make a big thing. Yeah, you know, it, it felt like a the, – the Cowboys right now are not playing with a ton of confidence, as you know. They have not looked great in four of their last five games. They found a way to win last week against New Orleans, even though they didn't play very well in that game as well. So it kind of felt like, to me, like Mike's way of trying to instill a little confidence in a group that's not real confident going up against an extremely confident Washington team. But I'm with you. Yeah, we, we talked about it earlier in the show. It's, it was a little surprising to hear McCarthy, who's not one to exactly come out and make bold proclamations like that, right? I mean, the biggest knock about Mike McCarthy is that He's uh, sometimes a little too boring, you know, and so here he is now not being boring. That's for sure. It's interesting to hear Washington players respond that way. I did want to ask you about Heineke, though. You know, there have been comparisons, and, and we're putting the cart way in front of the horse, but here in Dallas, you may not want to hear that in Washington, but that the Romo comparisons are there, right? I mean, like he seems to kind of have a little of that crazy magic spinning out of nowhere, making plays, undrafted guy. What's it been like watching his development this year? And Because he's, he's turned into a – you know, a pretty solid quarterback there. It's been a lot of fun. If there's one word I can use to describe Taylor Heineke, it's fun. He is easy to root for, super likable, down to earth, humble guy. He has, he has a lot of courage. He has a lot of faith in his arm. Um, he modeled his game after Brett Favre. So he'll try to make plays that Brett Favre made. I'm not sure he has Brett Favre's arm, but that doesn't stop him sometimes. I, I think I think Romo probably athletically was a little more gifted than Heineke. The cop I've been making for Heineke is actually Jeff Garcia, who, if you remember him with the Niners, had a pretty good career. He's another guy that was undrafted and kind of developed later on. Um, I wrote a story a couple weeks ago on our website that I believe Romo's first start came when he was 26 or 27. Um, Heineke's first season, first real opportunity, he's 28 years old. Garcia was 29. I do think there's some similarities with all those guys. I think Taylor Heineke this year has proven he belongs in the NFL. Like, no matter what, he's an NFL quarterback. Whether that's 
a QB one on a real playoff contender team, um, whether that's kind of a bridge quarterback, whether that's a eventually a backup quarterback, I, that book might not be decided yet, but Heineke belongs in this league. People here love him. He is, he has built a, a cult following to be sure. And I think there's a very, very real chance he's Washington's quarterback next season, at least. Very interesting. You know, you mentioned earlier Washington's defense is playing really well right now. I find that to be fascinating just because, you know, they don't have Chase Young anymore. And, you know, Jack Del Rio was under a tremendous amount of heat. Expectations were through the roof. The greatest defensive line in the NFL, you know. And then it was bad to start this. What? What has happened here? How, how has the Washington football team defense gotten better after losing their best player and after an awful first half of their first quarter of the season? It's a remarkable turnaround. Honestly, I mean, a month, six weeks into the season, fire Jack Del Rio was trending on Twitter every wow. Washington game. Wow. And now people love him again. I, I think to simplify it all the way down, they got much better on third downs. They were historically bad at giving up first down conversions on, on third downs, whether it was third and short or third and long. They've turned that around. I, I think there's been a couple specific schematic things that have helped. Um, they stopped playing Landon Collins deep because Landon Collins was getting beat deep. They've started playing him in this hybrid, they call it a Buffalo nickel role, where he, he has a lot of the same situations that a linebacker would have. Landon Collins up at the line of scrimmage is an asset. He's a sure tackler. He's instinctive. He reacts fast. Landon Collins deep in zone coverage is a problem. So putting Landon up at the line of scrimmage helped a lot. Um, and then I think they moved their secondary around a little bit. They were playing a rookie, Benjamin St. Juice, a lot on the outside as a cornerback. And then he got hurt. And that forced them to put Kendall Fuller back on the outside, who's a veteran cornerback, a guy that won a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs a few years ago. And they started playing kind of a guy that's been on the Washington team between their practice squad and the active and the active squad for probably three, four years, a guy named Danny Johnson. They started playing him in the slot. And all of a sudden, Danny's playing probably the best football they've gotten out of him. And most importantly, probably, they stopped giving up just bonehead big plays. And all those things combined to completely shift the look of this defense. It's been a remarkable turnaround, and to me it makes this game fascinating because the Cowboys' offense looks nothing like it did in the first seven or eight games of the season as well. So uh, Dallas still favored by four. I don't know, man, you have a strong feeling either way. I mean, are you feeling strongly that Washington keeps it rolling? I'm not asking for a direct prediction necessarily. Maybe a big thing in the game that you're looking for that is going to be the determining factor? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, Washington's run the ball really, really well during their win streak, right? Um, Antonio Gibson is now the leading rusher in the NFC. They've been dominating time of possession. That's their formula is to keep Taylor Heineke's pass attempts around 30 and to have Antonio Gibson run the ball 20, 25 times. And I think Dallas, correct me if I'm wrong on this, this could be the first time in a long time you get Randy Gregory, Demarcus Lawrence, and yeah. Micah Parsons on the field at the same time. Correct. Which obviously, from a pass rush perspective, is elite. But I think if Washington can just run the ball, it kind of neutralizes those guys, at least Gregory and Lawrence. And I think that's the key. To me, Washington can win a tight game or Dallas could win a tight game. Dallas could blow them out if their offense comes correct. I don't think Washington can blow them out. So I only really see like three kind of ways this game shakes out. Yeah, we see it a very similar way. I'm going to be interested to see Micah Parsons roll you know, does he just shadow and follow Antonio Gibson all over the field? Do they still have him rush the passer? Regardless, it's a fascinating uh, matchup. And J.P. Finley, if you'd like to get the perspective of the Washington football team, you can follow him on Twitter. does a great job there, J.P. Finley, NBCS. But thank you so much for joining us here, and uh, I'll see you in Washington on Sunday. Thanks, man. I look forward to it. Great stuff from JP there, previewing the game. You know, just in general, you have a gut feeling about this one? Do you feel like the Cowboys start to play better, KG? I mean, is this the the get right game? Sometimes, you know, Washington could do that for a good for a team. You know, it's a it's good medicine sometimes, the Washington football team for opponents that are struggling going to the game. But the last couple of weeks it really hasn't been the case because they look pretty good overall. Yeah, they have. They've won four straight. Antonio Gibson's playing some really good football for them right now. 
Historically, though, Dak Prescott has loved playing against the Washington football team. He's 7-1 lifetime against the Washington football team. And more importantly, they're getting healthy, especially on that defensive line with Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory coming back, Neville Gallimore coming back. This front four has a real opportunity to get after Taylor Heineke and this Washington football team and to try to create some pressure and then let Micah Parsons do Micah Parsons things to really make things difficult for that Washington offense. Something to watch there. You mentioned Dak Prescott. You know, this game's going to be played in D.C., mm-hmm. Landover, Maryland. Uh, the temperatures are going to be in the mid-40s, so it's not going to be a super warm day there. And really, the way teams have attacked Washington and the reason why they've given up, you know, a decent amount of points is it's all been through the air. Washington's run defense is eighth in run defense DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. Their pass defense is 30th. So they have one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. Who knows? Maybe this could be the get-right game for this Cowboys pass offense that has not been clicking to this point. And I wouldn't be surprised, especially with Ezekiel Elliott saying he's playing through this Whatever the knee injury is, he wouldn't say what it was. He just said it was there. He said it's going to be there all season and that they're going to have to pull him off the field. Uh, meanwhile, as we mentioned, Tony Pollard has the torn, is it plantar fascia? Is that mm-hmm. what it is? Yeah, he's got, yeah. And so that's going to be something he's going to deal with all season as well. You know, maybe, maybe this is what Dak Prescott kind of needed to get going. And I also love what you mentioned there, too, about Micah Parsons, Randy Gregory, Demarcus Lawrence all on the field. That is an opposing offense's worst nightmare potential, those three guys rushing the passer. Yeah, the beauty of Micah Parsons is his ability to be, to be versatile, whether he's spying potentially on Taylor Heineke or matching up against Antonio Gibson. His speed and his power allow him to really be able to handle matchups like that in a variety of ways. So how Dan Quinn deploys Micah Parsons in getting after Taylor Heineke but also matching up against Antonio Gibson is going to be key. But also – the Cowboys' ability to get Washington off the field on third down. You know, they've converted 50% of his third downs during this four-game winning streak. You know, 27 of the 58 third downs that they've had, you know, third and short. They've been able to convert a lot of those third and shorts. So if you can get them into third and long and to be able to put pressure on Heineke to try and make plays with his arm, then you've got a real chance against this Washington football team, I think, to win on Sunday. The Cowboys have to be better on third down as well, mm-hmm. too. They've just a lot of three and outs. Here's Ezekiel Elliott talking about the always great rivalry between Dallas and Washington and why this game matters so much. Definitely a, a critical game. Uh, they're playing a very good football, I think, what, four wins in a row? Uh, and they're a little banged up, but you seem like they haven't really missed much of a beat, and they've been having good game plans. So, I mean, I think... All of these last games with them being division games, what, four of our last five are division games. So, I mean, all of these last games are going to be uh, critical to us uh, winning, the, the, winning the division. Yeah, he is right about that. I mean, but the thing is, is really they're not all critical down the stretch, actually. He's not right about that because if they can win this game on Sunday, they're the driver's seat, three-game lead, four games left. I mean, it's it's going to be feeling pretty good right there for the Cowboys. Real quick, you know, one of uh, our associate producers, Gilberto Obregón, in sports, talked to me this week. He was like, "Hey, you know, where does is this the biggest rivalry you think in the NFC East between this? Is it is it Cowboys Eagles? Where, where would you rank it? I don't know, Chris Blake, you first, man. Where where does Cowboys Washington rank for you among the rivals in the NFC East? In the division, I think it's the last. Last. I don't know if it's just because you know I'm 32 years old, and I yeah. think Washington and Dallas in the 90s and the 80s was a huge rivalry when both of these teams were." among the premier franchises in the NFL. What did you think of Mark Rippon, you know, when he first started? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, since then, they've the Cowboys, too. Neither one has really been right. a premier team. I think in recent years, the Eagles and the Giants have been much more competitive and have gotten Cowboys fans' juices going a lot more. Yeah. Kevin, you agree? Is this the, the smallest, the least of the three? They're all rivals. You know, and they're all legit, yeah. but it's the least of the three, in your opinion? For me, it's in order. It's the Eagles, Giants, and the Washington football team. I know historically the Cowboys and Washington football team have had a lot of history. But it, for me, it's the Eagles. I don't know what it is about Philadelphia. They're real obnoxious with theirs when it comes to their you know, fandom and how they get down with their Eagles. But you're right. I mean, the Eagles and Giants have had much more success than the Cowboys over the past 15 years. You know, with the, the Giants winning a couple Super Bowls, the Eagles winning a Super Bowl. Uh, but to me, it's the Eagles. The biggest thing is we live rent-free in the heads of Eagles, Giants, and Washington football team <laughs> right. fans all the time. That's that's all that matters. It's always Dallas week, right? You know, <laughs> exactly. Like, it's never Washington week here or Philadelphia week here. There's only one stadium in America where 
an opposing media member being me and our photographer Noah Bullard at NBC5 Sports. Uh, actually, we get booed walking into the Eagles stadium there at the link, okay? They boo opposing media members. Like, we're not there to root for the team. We're there to just cover the game. Well, you should probably we, take off all your Cowboys gear when you go into the stadium. We actually we made a huge mistake one time because we were trying to get some just, like, color of the scene shots, you know, some interesting. And so there's a huge tailgate of Eagles for E-A-G-A. And so we, you know, we went and gave one our microphone to one of them and there was a crowd of like 40 people. They do the Eagles chant. And then the guy takes the microphone and spikes it on the ground. And we, wow. I mean, it's like multiple hundreds of dollars <laughs> worth of equipment on this thing. On the, and we're like, okay, that's the biggest rival right there. And I hope you lose today. <laughs> you know, like, but yeah, no, I, I think it's definitely Philly's number one. You know, it's just there's, and it's their intensity mm -hmm. that brings it to that level because they hate Dallas so much. The Cowboys, I always joke around, you know, when I say, hey, yeah, they're, they're going to play Philadelphia in Week 17. That's Dallas week. Here in Dallas, we call that Week 18. You know, it's just another right. game. That's a little bit of, you know, just joking around. Right. Obviously, it means a little bit more, too. But Washington and New York, I, you know, I might put this one second just because of the history and, the, and the, it goes way back. It's mm -hmm. just such a great matchup. I can't wait to be there on Sunday. going to be very interesting to see what happens in this game because the Cowboys are trying, KG, to get back into – Serious Super Bowl contention conversation. Right now, they're fourth overall in Team DVOA. You guys know that's a stat that I care a lot about for football outsiders. I think it's a great indicator of who's good and who's not. But to me, if they lose this game, it's going to be hard to really take them seriously. Where would you put the Cowboys in the serious contenders category right now in the NFL? And, and who do you consider serious contenders in the NFL right now? Yeah, I think there's a few teams for me, and I said it earlier this week to someone, and it made me laugh because I guess I'm tired of the same song being on repeat for the last 20 years, and it's the Patriots back at the top of yep. the AFC after their big win with Mac Jones throwing a total of three passes on Monday Night Football, uh, getting the win in Buffalo. They're, they're right there. I mean, defensively, they're so good. I mean, Matthew Judon's been really good for them. Mac Jones doesn't make mistakes you know, offensively. They're running the football well. The Patriots are, are a really good football team. And the Packers and the Cardinals, to me, at the top of the, the NFC right now, you know, Aaron Rodgers continues to do Aaron Rodgers things, a leading candidate for the NFL's MVP, and give the Cardinals a lot of credit, even with missing Kyler Murray for the few games that they did, still able to win football games defensively. They are ex extremely talented on that side of the ball. So to me, it's the question with the Cardinals is, is the experience factor going to get to them as they go down the stretch when games are getting bigger and bigger and then into the playoffs? as far as that's concerned. But those, to me, are the three teams that I'm looking at at the top of the AFC and the NFC right now. You're not putting Tampa in that category. You think they're a step down below there. I mean, Tampa Bay, I think, is right there, too. Uh, offensively, things getting better and turning around for Tom Brady in that offense. Uh, they got a really good run defense there also. Tampa Bay will be right there. But to me, they come in fourth when I think about the, the top three or four teams right now. Uh, in the National Football League. Overreaction City right now with the Rams and Cowboys, my opinion. And I think it hasn't been good for the last couple of weeks, but that doesn't mean that it won't be good when it matters. And that's all you really need. is, And one, usually the key to having a team kind of turn a corner and all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, this is the team that we saw back, you know, in such a – it's usually great quarterback play. And both the Rams and the Cowboys have great quarterback play in Stafford and Dak Prescott. I think they're in that same category with those teams you mentioned as well. In the AFC – I still think Buffalo has a chance to be really good because their defense is outstanding. I mean, their defense is elite. And I know New England ran on them. Not, not a lot of teams can run the football the way the New England Patriots do, especially the way they did it was very impressive with Buffalo knowing they can run the ball. Let me give you one kind of off-the-ball team, and I don't even know if they are in the playoffs right now. I'm going to pull up and look at the stat right now. But watch out for the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. I'm, you know – Team? That's another team that can run the football. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and really, in today's NFL, here we go, football nerd talk in 3-2-1. Today's NFL is all about, on the defensive side of the ball, not allowing explosive plays. You probably noticed there are a lot fewer explosive plays on Sundays right now because the NFL has gotten smarter on defense. They're going to, you know what, we'll allow you to get five, six yards if you can because what they know is that opposing teams are not built right now to hand the ball off 35 times a game, which is why you see the Kansas City Chiefs not looking like the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills offense not looking as explosive because 
They don't want to play a hand the ball off to their running back 35 times game. They want their superstar Ferrari quarterback with a cannon arm throwing the ball down the field. Well, the defense isn't giving that to you. So now we're going to make you Patrick Mahomes. We're going to make you Josh Allen dump off over and over and over again, short passes. And sometimes these teams are just not great at that. So running the football for me, I think it might, we might be seeing a trend, you know, like our guy, RJ choppy from the fan (laughs) is Mr. Don't run the ball. Don't Uh. run the ball. Don't run. Well, you know what? We might be trending now in a way where running the football could actually be the new, like exciting thing, which is a weird thing to say, right? Because it's old school ball, man. Football is cyclical. It, it, it always comes back around at some point. And for a while there, it was the explosive offenses. Folks remember the greatest show on turf for Kurt Warner and those, you know, those teams back when and all the explosive offenses. But if you can run the football, establish a dominant run game, the Colts are a tremendous example with their offensive lineman, Quentin Nelson, who's been doing it for a long time. Yep. They just run the ball down teams' throats and – the Tennessee Titans were the same way with Derrick Henry before that he got hurt. If you can't stop guys running the football, that's a punishing aspect of a football game that will continue to put pressure on defenses. And then play action starts to happen. Then you can start making things happen down the field. But, yeah, teams like the Colts are, are a dangerous team. And right now they're on the outside looking in as far as the playoffs are concerned at the moment. Super Bowl picks, I mean, not necessarily the two teams, but just generally who's in that category for UCB? I'm with you. I think the Cowboys and the Rams are being written off a little bit too early in okay. this case. I think you got so five teams out of the NFC that are seriously in that picture with those two plus the Packers, Bucks, and Cardinals. And then the AFC is obviously a little bit murkier. Um, when we did our If the Super Bowl was today last week, I told Kevin I was picking the winner of the Pats Bills Monday night game. To How be do you feel eight. about that right now? You feel real good feel, about feel that. Feel pretty good about that. After, you know, three pass attempts, solid, uh, solid game plan. Mm-hmm. Real, real exciting to watch. Um, <laughs> but you know, the Ravens are kind of falling out of favor. There's not really anyone else in the AFC aside from that AFC East yeah. that looks like a real contender right now. The stat to me that I thought was super interesting that I heard this week was when uh, the Athletic Football Show, which is really great with Robert Mays. And Nate Tice, they they were talking about it on their show about the difference this year compared to previous years. There's more parity in the league this year even than ever. And the way that they explained that was the same guys, Football Outsiders, with DVOA, my favorite stat. Um, The Buccaneers are number one right now in team overall DVOA, but their number is, I think, the second lowest for a number one team in football DVOA at this point in the season in 35 years so basically the best team is more average than just about any team has been for a number one seed overall at this point in the season in the nfl and it's made it to where we have all of these six win teams and five win teams and seven win teams that are like we still have a chance including the washington football team and that's exactly with the category they fall in where it's like maybe they catch some magic if they beat dallas on sunday well watch out now they're seven and six and they're only a game out of the first and it's like whoa you know so, yeah, a lot interesting to see. I think this is a fascinating year, and I can't wait to see what happens. And I think Sunday's game between Dallas and Washington is a great example of that. We'll see if the Cowboys can kind of differentiate themselves from the rest of the pack. Let's transition now and talk a little high school football now. What a great weekend of Texas high school football that's already gotten underway with the state semifinals rocking and rolling right now. It got going with area teams in North Texas last night when Brock took down Mount Vernon in overtime. 35-28, Brock advances to the state championship game. It feels like Brock plays for state titles in every sport every year. They're just title town USA, but congratulations to them beating Mount Vernon in a thriller in overtime. And that leads us now to our big game Friday game of the week. And it's a, I just love when Texas high school football, Salina, Gilmer, two smaller areas, 4A schools, you know the whole town is just painted the color of the team. You know the mascot flags are waving the send-off for the game. They're playing tonight at uh, at Prosper's Children's Health Stadium, which is going to be the whole stadium is going to be packed. It's a huge, really nice facility, but literally everyone from Gilmer and from Salina, you know the whole town is coming and making the trip because this trip to the state title is on the line. I had a chance to speak with Salina head coach Bill Elliott 
about what this run has been like for his team, what it's been like in the community there in Salina. This is a football-rich tradition town that hasn't had a lot of great years the last couple of years, but out of nowhere, they're rolling everybody right now except for one game. We'll talk about that in a second. But here is what Salina coach Bill Elliott had to say about their big-time run right now and what it's like in the community of Salina. You just feel the excitement building every week. It just keeps getting more and more. You know, a lot of people are coming around. They're coming to practice, watching practice. You know, there's just a lot of excitement. Everybody's wanting to get involved. You know, and I've been fortunate to be here 29 years and, you know, go through a lot of state runs that we've had in the past. And, man, it's just – it's an awesome feeling. You know, there's nothing like, you know, small town because we're not really a small town as much as we used to be. But this, this that, you know, Texas high school football is an amazing experience for a kid uh, to get to grow up in and be a part of. And, man, I'm just glad that I can share with them a little bit of that. I'm just imagining the gone to the game signs, you know, in the in the stores and all that. And I know Salina has grown a lot from even the last few years. It's one of the fastest growing communities in the area. But Gilmer, same thing. They get NBC5 and Gilmer. It's way out on the very, very far edge of our viewing area for NBC DFW here. But they're in our viewing area, and I'm excited to be able to see them because they've had a phenomenal season. They've only lost one game this year as well. But the stat to me that is fascinating is that Salina – lost its game against Argyle back in early October. And, you know, they had a lot of returning seniors or a lot of returning players from a from an average team last year. They win their first couple games. They lose to Argyle, and something clicked. And Coach Elliott told me that something just snapped in the mindset of the team in the locker room after that loss. And since that loss in early October, they've won every game, and they've won every game by an average of 45 points. I mean, so they're not just winning. Wow. They're blowing everybody out. Meanwhile... Gilmer's winning almost every game by a lot, too, which is why it's our big game Friday game of the week, KG. I love it, man. Smaller town, not small town, but smaller town. Texas high school football with a trip to the state title on the line doesn't get much better than that. Two teams with a lot of history with one another between 2014 and 2016. Right. Played each other three straight times in the playoffs. A lot of championship history in this no game also. But for Salina, looking for their state first state title since 2007. So a lot on the line in this game. Uh, look, it doesn't get much better than two small schools really playing for a big-time prize, and this time it's for an opportunity to get to a state title game. No doubt. And so I, I'm fascinated to see what it's like in the stadium tonight, the energy, the electricity. I mean, this, this, is, this will be the biggest football game of a lot of these kids' lives. Many of these kids will never go and play college football down the road. And so, you know, when you're talking about a packed house at a stadium like Prosper's, which feels like a college stadium, I mean, it's a phenomenal facility to the Children's Health Stadium there. I can't wait to be there for NBC5 Big Game Friday night. We will be there live in our 4, 5, 6, and 10 p.m. sportscasts tonight and with reports throughout the night talking about the game and other games around the area. And then Corbett Smith and I from the Dallas Morning News, we will be on the Sports Day HS Facebook page after the game tonight at about 10.35 p.m. recapping the night and previewing the games ahead for tomorrow and that leads us in now to what i wanted to talk about next and that's just some of the other big games that are coming up M many of them are taking place on saturday the biggest one man doesn't get much better than south lake carroll taking on duncanville i mean these programs this is big boy football right now i mean you and i were talking this morning this is powerhouse against powerhouse with a chance to go and play at jerry world I like Southlake Carroll to win the game, but I think it's going to be close. And I think it's interesting, too. You were bringing up about Reginald Samples. You know, here he is again with another opportunity. What a coach and what a year he's had there at Duncanville. Yeah, a guy who, of course, won his 300th game this year uh, as far as Texas high school state football is concerned, has had heartbreak in years past right. in state title games. In a year where Southlake Carroll, 14-0, and has just been rolling, it seems like everybody every right. week, Duncanville has a chance to look – create some revenge last year lost in the state semifinal 34 27 to south lake carroll so i'm not gonna lie to you i hope that duncanville <laughs> pulls off the upset because i think it would just continue a dream year for reginald samples making the history that he's made being able to pull off this upset against south lake carroll but obviously carroll's been so good and so dominant this so year good. it's gonna be tough for duncanville and you know i think riley dodge the head coach of south lake carroll deserves a lot of credit too you lose quinn ewers mm -hmm. two weeks before the season starts just insert caden anderson a junior who thought he had another year to wait before he was going to be the starting quarterback and you still roll everybody and run all the way now to the state semifinal game i mean riley has done a phenomenal job that program is just rolling right now it feels like they are on they had this, a really really strong chance to win this game 
to win the next game, be state champions. And then they're going to have a lot of their best players back next year. Again, they're running back Owen Allen. I mentioned Caden Anderson, their quarterback. They're all juniors, you know, and so they've got an opportunity to have this be maybe a potential back-to-back situation. But first, mm-hmm. obviously, got to take care of business against a very good Duncanville team. A few other teams that we need to mention, of course, South Oak Cliff. I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the history that they're on the verge of potentially making. You know, Sock was not expected by most people to beat Frisco. They did. Everybody picked them to lose to Alito. Uh, they beat Alito, and they did it in a very impressive way. Then last week, they take care of Lovejoy. Here they are now. They're going to be playing Abilene later this evening. If they win that game, they head to the state championship game. You know, Dallas ISD school has not won a state championship, I believe, since 1958. You know, it's been a long time. Wow. Wow. So that's what's on the line for South Oak Cliff. Jason Todd, the head coach, they've done a phenomenal job. That team is really good, and I think they're the favorites right now to win the whole thing, which would be really cool to see. A couple of the programs I wanted to mention as well. Stephenville with a chance uh, to play for a state championship if they can win their game tonight. And then also, have to mention, Denton Geyer is going to play Tomball, and that's a t- Tomball's from the Houston area. We had a chance to go and speak with Rodney Webb, the head coach at Denton Geyer. I-, I loved his perspective on what it's like this time of year to be a not just a Texas high school football player, you know, playing for a state semifinal, but also being from the Dallas Fort Worth area and the pride that comes with representing North Texas now, because it's not just about your school anymore. Now it's starting to be like, okay, you know, if you're from Dallas Fort Worth, you want to see DFW teams take down the Houston area or Austin area teams, San Antonio. Listen to Rodney Webb from Denton Geyer, what he had to say about what this is like, these the state semifinal matchup leading into potentially a state championship game. We carry the banner of Geyer High School during the course of the regular season, but then as you get to the playoffs, you begin to expand that a little bit. And we're to the point now, we're not only carrying the banner for Geyer High School, the city of Denton, but we're carrying the banner for DFW. You know, we're the lone remaining Class 6AD2 team left in, in DFW. So, uh, you know, we're carrying the banner for, for all of DFW in North Texas. And so, you know, there's a, there's a responsibility that goes along with that, and we're certainly going to show up and play our best. Well, a lot of schools in North Texas hope that's the case because you know it's kind of interesting kg you quickly shift from being rivals from being you know i don't want that team to win to all of a sudden it's like well you know you are from north texas and you are the team that beat us you know and that and now you're playing some school from you know el paso or san Antonio. yeah go ahead and win that thing for us you know, <laughs> kind of brings a little bit of extra rooting and i you know I, I think that's an interesting point there you know rooting for your local area now as they start to play teams from out of area well it sounds like he's uh representing well for his school there so look again with these types of games and the history that's being made good for him that he obviously the perspective is there and understanding what the moment is but also having a little bit of fun with it as well nobody taking this situation for granted that is for sure again trips to at&t stadium state championship week is next week hard to believe we have already arrived at that point in the season but the texas high school football season will be over next weekend as state champions are crowned all week long there in Arlington. Let's transition now to the college football season and the bowl season that's upcoming. A couple of just awesome matchups that include teams from around the area. CB, I know this is kind of your area of expertise. And so, you know, I know it's not TCU. They're not busy this time of year, except they're hiring a new coach real quick. What did you think of Sonny Dice? What did you think of? Hey, look, my team hired Lincoln Riley, so we're okay. You're in good shape there. But Sonny Dykes, what'd you think, man? I, 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 interesting hire I thought I've, it, I've heard mixed reviews from some tcu fans i was surprised i'm kind of lukewarm on it i think it was the safe hire um i think we talked to uh, joseph hoyt last week from the dallas morning news that, and yeah. he talked about because a lot of the chatter i've been seeing on twitter and everything has been about the staff he's bringing in and there's a couple of recruiters in um uh, rashad samples and brian carrington reginald samples yes, son reginald by the way samples mentioned Duncan. yep exactly um, who people are really excited about, have done a fantastic job building their connections in North Texas. And that was part of what Sonny Dykes did at SMU. He refocused on recruiting the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, and you know, built that program back up to being you know, a ranked team for the first time in several years. So yep. um, I think the defensive coordinator hire was big, getting the – I'm blanking on the name, the DC from Tulsa. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think – I think they'll be in good shape moving forward. I, Got to, I let's keep Zach Evans here. Let's, let's work on that. I was going to say, that's priority number one, Zach Evans. Let's see what you can do. They landed Josh Hoover, the Rockwall Heath quarterback, 
who was going to Indiana. He was an MVP bobblehead winner on our Inside High School Sports Show earlier this year. One of my favorite players in the area. He is now committed and headed to TCU as well. I think he'll be a good player. Chandler Morris is there right now. Kind of feels like maybe he has an opportunity to become the starting quarterback next season. He and Zach Evans together, that could be a pretty good little one-two punch. But uh, let's talk about some of these bowl games. Baylor taking on Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. I love this matchup just because Lane Kiffin, offense, you know, <laughs> Dave Aranda, defense. I mean, it's just a great matchup between two very, very good coaches here in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, it's, for me, the story is Baylor. Dave Aranda and the program turnaround that he's been able to have with Baylor is just tremendous in winning their first ever Big 12 title game. Uh, over in Oakland. unbelievable fashion, by the yeah, way. Too. That last yeah. play was unreal. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So congratulations to that Baylor program who's been through a lot, to say the least, over the last several years. And for Dave Aranda to come in, uh, hopefully for that program, it will culminate in winning a Super Bowl over a very talented Old Miss team that will have a Matt Corral that's going to be looking to be a high draft pick coming up in April's NFL draft. Yeah. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State going to be taking on Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl what an interesting situation it is right now for Notre Dame with Brian Kelly gone. You know, Oklahoma State had expectations of hopefully winning the Big 12 championship. I'm, you know, I'm glad for their sake they still get a major bowl game getting to play there in the Fiesta Bowl. But I'm kind of interested to see is there a letdown from either of these programs with the head coach now gone, the new head coach now in there at Notre Dame, and then also you know Oklahoma State's not playing for a playoff situation, which was still on the line if they could have gotten three more inches on that touchdown run in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, highly disappointing loss in the Big 12 title game for Oklahoma State. You know, Spencer Sanders did not play well right. uh, that day. But I think they are catching Notre Dame at the wrong time. I think this is a, a very angry Notre Dame football team after the way things went down with Brian Kelly. They were really behind Marcus Freeman and getting him hired as their new head coach there yep. as a defensive coordinator. I think Notre Dame is going to look to send a message uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, and Oklahoma State may have caught the Fighting Irish uh, at the wrong time. Yeah, Freeman seems like a great hire there for sure. It seems mm-hmm. like really, really could potentially just take that baton from Brian Kelly and just keep on trucking the way that they have. Texas A&M taking on Wake Forest in the Gator Bowl. You know, Texas A&M's kind of been an up-and-down season. You know, they've had the amazing moment, you know, beating Alabama. Yep. They've had some frustrating moments as well. You know, they're an underdog in that game against Wake Forest. I was surprised to see that. Does that surprise you I'm, as well? I'm really surprised. I think Wake Forest benefited a lot from playing in an ACC that is down this year and winning that conference. Um, Texas A&M has looked good. Like, their ceiling is much higher than Wake Forest's ceiling. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Only team to beat I, Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I think talent-wise, Texas A&M, I'm surprised they're the underdog. I think I like them in that one. You, I mean, what do you think, KG? You like Texas A&M? You like uh, Wake Forest? What are you thinking in that matchup there? Yeah, I'll take Texas A&M in the Gator Bowl. It's interesting because more rumors about their head coach apparently popped up you know, later earlier this week where LSU had offered Jimbo Fisher, it was eight years, $125 million to leave Texas A&M to go to LSU. Obviously, it did not happen. But I think A&M, as I mentioned, you know, only seemed to beat Alabama this year. They should be able to beat Wake Forest, I think, in the Gator Bowl going forward. I'm trying to find the stat real quick of uh, Texas A&M. You mentioned, you know, the the be- having the better team in the circumstance. You know, I tweeted recently about the um, the recruiting class for Texas A&M right now. I mean, it's just they are loaded yep. right now coming into this next season. I can't find it off the top of my head, but they have, you know, the second best recruiting class in the nation right now, behind only Alabama. It was something like they have the number 2, 3, 5, 11, 14, 20. I mean, it was like like 14 of the top 100 players in the nation in the class of 2022 are going to Texas A&M. And there were like three or four other players considering it, as is Quinn Ewers, you know, because he's transferring mm-hmm. now from Ohio State. His shortlist apparently includes Texas, Texas A&M, and Texas Tech. So going to be interesting to see what, you know, that has going forward. But A&M, you know, you mentioned Jimbo and, and LSU and all, and he, you know, it seems like he's in a pretty good spot right now. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know if that would be a smart move. That to me feels a little bit lateral. I mean, am I crazy? Do you agree? No, with that? I think he's got this Aggies program moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go to an SEC West team that is potentially in position to maybe challenge Alabama, I think you're in a better spot right now at Texas A&M than you would be going to an LSU program that, you know, has kind of been left. Uh, the cupboard's a little bare there. Not bare, but by their standards, by national championship standards, you've got a little building to do there. There's definitely a little more juice right now with the Aggies yeah. than there are with, uh, is with LSU at this moment. That doesn't mean it couldn't change on a dime because 
LSU recruits incredibly well every single year. Uh, let's talk about Oregon taking on Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl. Let's talk about... Uh, <laughs> Do any of these schools have the coaches that finished the season That's anymore? What, I mean, <laughs> as I'm going through it, I'm realizing you know there are very, very few of them. So it's, what an interesting situation for Oklahoma right now. No Lincoln Riley. Here comes Brent <laughs> Venables. You know, it's like... And yet you're playing Oregon, who also lost its coach. You know, Cristobal's headed to Miami. I mean, like, what? It's the assistant coach war, you know, in yeah, San Antonio. Yeah. I mean, just kind of an interesting game, though, because there's talent all over the field, including a lot of players from here in North Texas. I feel like this is a back-to-the-future game because, obviously, you mentioned with Lincoln Riley moving on to, to USC. Congratulations, Pat, by the way. Yeah, fight on. <laughs> um, you know, there's rumors that Chip Kelly – may be interested in a return back to Oregon. Which he should. Yeah. Which I would – for some reason, I just want that to happen just in time for the Alamo Bowl. Because it would be the like, great – well, if it's time for the Alamo Bowl. Yeah. You want him to coach the Alamo Bowl. I would Bowl. want him to coach the Alamo Bob Bowl. Stoops. Bob Stoops versus Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly in the now Alamo that Bowl. That would be juicy. That would be awesome. But I'm going to take Oklahoma in this game. You think the same way? What do you think? I think so, too. I think Oklahoma is a little bit better. The Pac – you go – well – the Pac-12 was a little down this year. Not for long. Not for long. <laughs> Lincoln Riley's going to bring it back, but I think Oklahoma uh, has a little more going for it right now. Lincoln Riley made a... I, All right, Pat. Okay. All right. I'm going to be very careful how I say this. I know we have a lot of Oklahoma fans you know, in the area. I get it. Okay. But we, I think we can all agree that the path to the national championship is much smoother through the Pac-12 than the it is through the SEC oh, West. 100%. Okay. Yeah, 100%. So, however you feel about his decision to leave Oklahoma, to not take them into the SEC, you know, not, regardless, we can all just at least admit here that his path to getting to a national championship is easier as the only premier program right now on the West Coast with Oregon losing its coach. Many of Oregon's best players are kids who have come from Southern California who normally would go to USC, but USC's been down for five or six years, and so they've been going other places. And I'll give you an example. The starting quarterback at Alabama, at Clemson, at Ohio State, and I believe there was one other one, I can't remember. Oh, Georgia. Uh, all of them are from within 50 miles of USC's campus. So the All of them. Mm. So Lincoln Riley gets one of them, at least, to stay home. You would think yeah. that they would want to play for a guy who's led... Two Heisman winners. Multiple Heisman winners, multiple number one draft picks in an offense that should be really fun to watch. Okay, I'm done with Lincoln Riley talk. I, just, <laughs> I had to get that I knew 30 you had to get seconds it in. in. I knew he was going to get it in. Uh, SMU taking on Virginia in the Fenway Bowl. I, you know what? Look, I know that Sonny's not coaching the team anymore, but, man, it's going to be cool to see them playing in Fenway. I mean, what a cool venue to watch a bowl game. And, and hopefully, at least for the SMU program and the kids that are there, you know, I know it's a bummer to see Sonny Dykes leave. But Red Lash is coming in. Red seems like a good up-and-coming young guy who, you know, worked under Gus Malzahn, knows his stuff. And this is a, a really cool spot to go play a bowl game if you're going to play when they're in Fenway Park, the home of the Red Sox. I agree. And hopefully for Tanner Mordecai can complete what's been a terrific year for him and can put yeah. on a show, especially out there in Boston. And then Texas Tech taking on Mississippi State. That game, the Liberty Bowl. You know, Texas Tech getting ready to have Joey McGuire take over as the head mm -hmm. coach. He's... You know, he's well-connected, Texas high school football guy. You know, his time in Baylor was successful, and then here he is now, and, and so many different high school coaches in the area in Dallas-Fort Worth, really statewide, will tell you he's a popular guy. I, what did you think of that hire, of them hiring a high school football guy? You know, I know he's been at Baylor, but he's kind of looked at it as a high school football guy. To me, I thought it was an interesting move, and I think he might be successful there. I think it's a perfect hire because he knows the state of Texas can recruit, and more importantly, McGuire wanted to be there. You saw the excitement that he had right. of just joining the program. And by the way, I have to mention, it's the Mike Leach Bowl. How about that? Yeah, between Mike Texas Leach. Tech and the Mississippi State. That's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> also, North Texas taking on Miami of Ohio in the Frisco Football Classic. Congratulations to Seth Luttrell, the head coach there at UNT. Things did not start well. They ended up winning, I believe, their last five That's games right, to yeah. get into a bowl game. So a phenomenal run, including a win over UTSA previously undefeated going to that matchup. So great, great job there by the Mean Green coaching staff to get them into a bowl game as well. Okay, real quick, the best thing we saw all week can be football, can be non-football related. What did you think, KG? What's the best thing you saw this week, man? Tiger Woods announcing that he'll play the PNC Championship with his son, Charlie. Oh, that was that's a cool awesome. moment, that's dude. pretty awesome. No doubt about it. CB, what would you think? What's the best thing you saw all week? Something we were talking about a second ago. I heard this on the way in, and I am thrilled that they – made the slide rule, the Kenny Pickett rule, will not happen again. So 
That's my best thing I saw this week. I'm going to go with the worst thing I saw all week, and that is the fact that Chris Blake is here with us now for the final time on the final episode of Big Game Friday morning this season. Chris Blake going to be moving on to Odyssey. Thanks for your work, dude. Appreciate all the help you've uh, contributed to launch this show, get it off the ground. Going to miss you here at NBC5, but uh, congratulations on the congratulations, new opportunity. Man. Well, thanks for uh, including me on this project. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, one of the most fulfilling things I've gotten to do since... Uh, I got here to NBC5. It's been a lot of fun having you all here on the journey, and appreciate all of you being a part of our journey as well. As I mentioned, this is the final episode of this season, NBC5 and 105.3, the fans' inaugural season of Big Game Friday morning. It's been a lot of fun. KG, thank you for all your work as well. What a great Loved season. It. it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it, man. All right. Everybody enjoy the football weekend. That's going to do it for our coverage here on NBC5 and 105.3, the fans' Big Game Friday morning. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you.